Hi, I'm Johan Roberts, and this is the Coleman Had a Dream podcast. Please listen. Recently, Ruth and I were very lucky to spend a morning chatting away to Juan Roberts about his entire career, both for club level and also internationally. We also discussed a huge variety of topics, such as the shirts he's collected in his career, uh, what he thinks of the current Wales setup, and it's a fascinating listen. What we decided to do, as Juan was so generous with his time, rather than just have this as one uh, big long podcast, we've decided to split it up into two. This is the first half where Uwan spends the majority of time talking about his club career, his time at Norwich, uh, a variety of other things. It's a fascinating listen. I hope you enjoy. The second half of this podcast will be released on Monday the 6th of August. Anyway, here's our chat. Hello and welcome to the latest Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I'm here as always with Ruth. Good morning. And a very special guest, Mr Uwan Roberts. Hello, how are you? Very good, very good. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure, my pleasure. I'm, li- I'm lying on the kitchen floor because it's absolutely boiling hot in, uh, <laughs> in the UK. We're not used to this hot weather. Exactly, avoiding the heat. We wanted to start by talking about how you got picked up uh, and eventually obviously then moved to, to Watford. Um, I, was, I stayed on at school for, for another couple of years to do, do some A-levels. Not that I was ever going to pass them. <laughs> uh, but the main reason was to play, um, to hopefully play for the Welsh under-18s team. Right. Um, didn't play for the Welsh under-15s, never got chosen for that squad, but did get picked for the under-18s. Um, and the manager was a man called Win- Win Owen from Carnarvon, um, and I got on really well with with, with, with Win. And he was best friends with Tom Wally, the youth team manager at Watford. Um, right. Tom had been there for years. He was really... Highly thought of by Graham Taylor. He'd taken Malcolm Allen down there from from North Wales, and Wynn told Tom about myself because Watford liked a big six foot plus centre forward who was who was quite good in in, in the air. Um, so I went down, got the train from Bangor. Uh, took about five hours to get to Watford Junction. Did that on three or four occasions. Really enjoyed my time there, even though it was miles away from. From home, uh, I was there was myself and a lad called Neil Dowerty who got the train from Barrow, so we used to meet each other at Crew and we travelled out together. And from the first time I met Tom, he was a Welsh speaker, first language. Malcolm was was there, which I, I played against Malcolm, Malcolm in the Canavan District League, so it made it a lot easier for me to settle down. I'd been to Manchester United, I'd, I'd been to Aston Villa, I'd had a month at Wolves. But I didn't get the same feeling from those clubs as I did when I when I went to Watford. Uh, I think it was a, a big reason was having you know a, a friend there who, who I'd known for years in Malcolm uh, and a coach who reminded me of my dad, if you like. And yeah. if I wanted to speak Welsh to Tom, I I could. And Watford was a club. They'd come through the divisions. Uh, they'd been to the FA Cup final. I think they'd finished second behind Liverpool and they gave youth an opportunity you know they, they did like to give youngsters who had done well in the youth team who had done well in the reserves a chance in the first team so yeah what was the hardest part about the transition down to life in North London even I'm from a little Welsh village called Defrenard I mean you know what it's like and it, you know you're basically in London um, 
the English wasn't great. My dress sense was completely different to what <laughs> the London boys, uh, what were the clothes that, that, that what they were wearing. But the first, first couple of weeks were tough, especially the first week, because I was in digs, I was sharing digs with um, a lad called Warrell Sterling, who, who was a professional, and another apprentice from Highbury called Stevie Thorne. I, I was to share a room with Stevie. But, you know, every weekend they'd go home. You know, mm. they'd go and see their parents, whereas it's four or five hours for me to, yeah. to get home. So I, I couldn't go every... I, I might get home once every two months, six weeks. The first week was tough, you know. No mobile phones, mm. so you're having to walk to a kiosk to do the old-fashioned, um, to, to, to ring, to speak to my mum and dad. But then you soon settle in, you soon make friends. We had a good group of, of lads... In, in in the youth team, the Holdsworth twins, uh, and Tim Sherwood, uh, you know, we've got a lad called Paul Rumble who was in, uh, who lived in Hemel Hempstead. We had a really good group of lads who, I won't say they looked after me because I didn't need looking after, but they they made me feel more than welcome, which made it so much easier. And it was a good club. It was a family club. The people that worked at the club, you know, they went out of their way to make sure that you were all right, that you were settled, that you know you were. In good digs, stay with good people. Um, uh, Homesickness was the biggest issue for me, but within within a month, I was fine. And it sounds like the mentoring you were getting off Tom Wally and Graham Taylor and the other that sounds like it was really important in terms of you establishing yourself, Ewan. I think I learned as much how to conduct yourself on the pitch as I did off the pitch with, especially with Graham Taylor, because he was such a such a gentleman and he was one that you wouldn't mess about with. I mean, Tom Tom was the same. You would never cross either. Never, ever cross either. And I, I learnt my lesson. Um, I think it was my, it was my first season at the club. And it was sort of towards, coming towards the end of the season, I'd done well in the youth team, I'd done well in the reserves. Colin West, the centre forward, he was, he was injured. Um, we were playing Ipswich on the Saturday. And uh, I'd been training with the first team for a couple of days, not thinking that I was going to be part of the squad because those days I think you only had two substitute, substitutes. Right. So uh, trained on the Friday. Graham Taylor called me into his office after training and sort of said, "Listen, um, Westy's not going to be right. Um, you're going to make your debut for the first team tomorrow." And I'm like, "Bloody hell!" <laughs> and he said, "Right, um, ring, ring your mum and dad now because we want them to come down. We want them to see if." See your first game for the club. Um, we'll, you know, we'll pay their costs. We'll put them up in in a hotel, and obviously we'll we'll get them tickets for for the game. Anyway, I played on the Saturday. Mum and Dad went back to North Wales, and a few of us had arranged to go out for a meal on the Saturday night, only to not to a just a little pizza place or something in St Albans. The only thing was, it, we had another game on the Monday. We were playing Arsenal away at Highbury on the Monday. Oh, really? Of course, that's 48 hours before mm. the old 48 hour rule. Not that we were drinking. So we've, we've met up in St Albans. We were a bit early, so we've gone into the pub next door. And um, we've only had Cokes. We didn't have a pint or anything. But we didn't know that someone was in the pub that knew Tom, Tom Wally. Right. And of course, he's straight on the phone to Tom. Spotted blah 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 in the pub, uh, and then we were training the next day on the Sunday in in preparation for for Monday's game. Yeah. 
Anyway, word soon got around that Tom knew that we'd been out. He knew who was out. I swear to God, <laughs> I've never ever felt so scared because we knew that Tom would have to tell Graham Taylor. Mm, yeah. And he, we had a meeting in the home dressing room. Everybody was in there, the staff, all the players, and Graham Taylor absolutely tore it to shreds. Honestly, we thought we were going to get a sack. <laughs> we the career's over without even starting having played one game. Anyway, we, I, I think we were fined a week's wages. Or, I, I can't remember what it was, but it was such a valuable lesson. And I, it, that's the only time I did it. I never did it again. I learned... They, and they, were, he, they were both very old school. Mm-hmm. They were all very... Two disciplinarians. But I think that's what youngsters needed at, at the time. And, and, you know, you just have to look at the, the players that Watford produced over the years from 17-18 to get into the first team. Um, you, you talked there about making your debut. Um, like, that must have been an unbelievable feeling. Can you can you remember scoring your first goal and, and what that was? Yeah, I mean, the first goal was I couldn't have wished to have scored it against a better team. I mean, I'm, I'm a Liverpool fan, uh, and if you if you come from North Wales, you either support Everton, Liverpool, or or Man United. Well, we, we did when I used to talk about this. So I followed my dad, followed Liverpool, massive Liverpool fan. And my first get my first goal came against Man U. Oh really? Uh, yeah, my first goal came against Man U. Uh, I started on the bench. Half time, we've gone in. Graham Taylor's like, well, it's not really working for us. But I'm going to have to change a couple of things. So he's taken Ronald Sterling off the ladder I was living with and he's put me up front with Luther Blissett and then with it, after about 72 minutes um, the ball's just broken to me in, just inside the, the box on the right hand side and I've just hit it first time and I've kept it low and it's beating Chris Turner on his near post and obviously I was just I didn't know what to do I didn't know how to celebrate I was just that night I didn't sleep a wink did not sleep a wink I think it must have been about Four half four before before I finally managed to, to get to sleep. I was straight on the phone to to remember my dad because they weren't at the game. But yeah, I will I will always always remember my first goal. You know, as a Liverpool fan, it couldn't have come yeah. against a, a better a better team. And did you win the game? Win it one 0 as well. Oh. <laughs> but that's even better. Cliche, just a one goal. Um, I scored it. Happy days. But I, it was good in the dressing room after because. Uh, that week, uh, a camera crew from BBC Wales had been uh, had arranged to come up to film me and Malcolm. They were doing a programme for S4C called On Gogled E Watford from the North to Watford. Um, of course, they were filming the game. They got the goal. They came into the dressing room after, and uh, they sort of interviewed me. They interviewed Tom, and Tom Tom was like, "Well, yeah." It's, only one goal. It's, you know, it's nothing. It's nothing yet. <laughs> and do you know what? But it's the best thing yeah, that yeah. you needed as a youngster. Don't get carried away. Get don't get big time. Just keep your feet firmly on the floor, and uh, that's that's the best thing that Tom could have said. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about some of the players. You you mentioned uh, Luther Blissett, for example, there, and obviously yeah. you played with John Barnes and some other great players over the year. Both both. Um, internationally and, and in club football. What do you think you learnt the most from some of the other players that you overlapped with, Yuan? I think just watching them. I, I remember when Watford signed Mark Falco, mm-hmm. the lad who played for Spurs. 
and he was a very similar player to me. And you just watch them in training when when you're having a, an eleven v eleven when you're having a practice match and you're not involved. You just watch and see the positions that they they pick up, where they go in the penalty box because they were they were natural goal scorers. Um, Luther Blissett, I just watched the runs that, and I was a bit different to Luther because mm. Luther was quick, Luther was powerful, and he he liked the ball in in front of him. But you, know, you could you can learn from uh, from David Speedy was another one when I played uh, uh, at Leicester, just the way he used to, and, and Speedo was five foot six, but he he would time his run superbly across across the centre. He jumped from the side and he just nicked things on just. Little, little, little tricks like that used to used to pick up. But the main thing for me was watching the likes of Colin West, Mark Falco, David Speedy, just watching the positions that they took up in the penalty box because they'd scored goals where where wherever wherever they'd been, yeah. whatever club they they, they, they played for. Um, obviously, further a little bit further down the line, you moved on and played for Norwich. Which your longest period at one club? Yeah. Um, what about that whole whole experience kind of made it so enjoyable for you? And it's probably you know it was the place you scored most goals as well. And believe it or not, the second I I, was, I signed for, I went from Leicester to Wolves, and within a year, uh, Mark McGee had been told by oh, the, the chairman Sir Jack Haywood at Wolves that before he was going to get any more money to spend because Wolves at the time. Were spending millions, you know. Yeah. Graham Taylor had been there, Mark McGee taken over, and they'd they'd spent millions trying to get into the Premier League. We just missed out on. We, we should have won the league in that year. I was there. We had a really good side, but for some reason we couldn't win at home. The pressure and the expectancy from the fans at Mog- was it was too much for us for, for some reason. Anyway, we lost to P- Palace in the playoffs, and uh, so Jack Haywood said that. Before Mark McGee had any more money to spend, he had to sell before he could bring yeah. players in. Norwich put a bid in for me. Uh, Mark McGee pulled me into the office the first day of pre-season and said, listen, Norwich have made a bid. We've accepted it. Go down, have a look around, have talks. If you, if you, don't, if, if you, if you don't feel that it's the right move for you, then you come back and you work and you try and get into the team, as like everybody else does. But I think once a club agrees a fee I think they're basically saying that you're not needed anymore yeah. so I went I, I, I went down on a Friday uh, spoke to Mike Walker had a look around liked it but I wasn't prepared to sign then I said oh, can I can have the weekend to think about it because um, I'm thinking bloody hell this is miles away yeah. and it is it's it's a lovely place but you've got to have a reason to come to Norwich <laughs> sort of thing anyway I've got home and I'm like don't know, if I, don't know if it's what I want. I don't know if I want to move there. You know, my mum and dad, Molly is only an hour and a half yeah. away, so they could come to every home game. I mean, Norwich is six hours for them. Anyway, I've decided, yeah, go on. Wolves don't want me. Got in the car on on the Monday morning, driving down to Norwich, and I'm about half an hour away, and I've pulled into the lay-by, and I've just started crying. I'm thinking, I don't want to sign for them. I don't want to come down here. But sort of sorted myself out, carried on, signed the contract, had a shocking first year. My first season I was getting, first six months, I was a little bit overweight, um, 
wasn't scoring goals, picked up some niggly little injuries that sort of held me back a little bit. And they were expecting someone to get 25, 30 goals. I mean, they paid, I think they paid nearly a million pounds for me. Yeah. So they were expecting big things. And I, I, I let my walker down. I only scored seven goals. I was getting slaughtered from the fans. And they've got a local paper. Uh, it's a little bit like the Daily Post in North Wales. It's the um, Evening News at the EDP. And it's, it's the local paper in Norfolk. And at the time, there was a, a, a letters page where fans could write in and view their thoughts. And it's, I think it's only natural for people to read what people are saying. Yeah. Anyway, the, the majority of the letters were about me. What a waste of money. He's the worst forward the club's ever had. And I'm like, bloody hell, it was, it was tough. It yeah. was tough going. Anyway, I came back. I, to finish the season off, in our last two home games, I scored four goals in, in the last two games against Swindon and Huddersfield. And I sort of started to win, win the fans over a little bit. They could see, oh, he's not this waste of money. He's not this donkey that we thought he was. Came back the next season, got myself really fit, really fit. Um, lost about two stone in weight. And I scored 24 goals. So, and from then on, I sort of never looked back, really, and loved every minute of it. And, and that's why I stayed here for seven years. I read a I read a, a story once about Matt Letizia, um talking about confidence, where Lauren McMenemy had pulled him out. Um, sorry, this just truck has just gone past, so I just left. Oh, has he got all American on me, truck? There's a lorry that's just gone by. <laughs> there's a lorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he was telling this story about how Laurie McMenemy pulled him aside from everyone and said this guy is your best chance of getting out of trouble. He's our best player. You know, all the tactics we've yeah. got and everything. If you get the chance to give him the ball, give him the ball. And obviously that confidence, he said, just kind of like skyrocketed and made everything yeah. work for him. Was it the same sort of thing for you where something happened, whether whether it was those four goals in two games or where you just got a kick of confidence and it just ran and ran? I, I tell you what it was for me. The second season um, in my career at Norwich, Mike, Mike Walker left. Um, Bruce Rioch and uh, Brian Hamilton took over, and Bruce had, he'd always been a he'd always been an admirer of mine. He tried to sign me at Bolton, um, but he he was another in the mould of Graham Taylor, yeah. disciplinarian. I think his dad was ex-military. Um, anyway, the first day back, you have all these fitness tests, and they they take your height. Not that you've grown in the summer, but <laughs> for some reason they do it. Obviously, they you know, your body fat, yeah. They weigh you, and I, I think I, my tests or my results weren't brilliant. I think they were. I weren't one. Of the, I weren't the worst, but I was one of the worst. And I might have been maybe half a stone overweight. And back back in the day, pre-season was that was a time for you to lose that extra bit of weight that you you'd put on over the six weeks or whatever. Now the lads turned back in. And that they could play a game the yeah. first day back because they they give a program. Anyway, uh, we're in we're in a room in, in the canteen up at Cole in the training ground. Um, the players, the staff, and Bruce has walked in having a, a quick meeting, and obviously he's checking all the results, and you can see that mine aren't great. And he's gone right. I've got I've got uh, only two rules: no baseball cap caps in 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 the in the complex. No mobile phones. 
And guess who's the only idiot who's got a baseball cap on and his mobile phone <laughs> on, on the table? So I've sort of took it off, hid my phone, and Tom was a good friend. Um, Bruce was a good friend with Tom Wally because they'd worked at Millwall and Arsenal together. And, and he, knew, he knew that Tom was a fitness fanatic and massively into getting players fully focused and fully fit. Anyway, he looked at my my results and he just looked at me and in a calm, quiet voice, he's gone, Robbo, Tom would be very proud of you. And it just hit a chord with me thinking, my results aren't great, I'm a little bit overweight, Tom would be fuming. Tom would be absolutely fuming. And from that, that, that moment on, I thought, I've got to sort myself out Otherwise, he won't put up with me being six pounds to a stone overweight. So I sort of pre-season, I absolutely worked my socks off to get myself get myself right. Uh, didn't start the team, started on the bench, and it wasn't until about the fourth game in that he, Keith, a lad called Keith O'Neill, who was a Republic of Ireland international, started up front with Craig Bellamy. Oh yeah, and they were they were rapid. Both were really quick. So I. Didn't start, and Keith got injured in the game up at Stockport. Of course, got me opportunity, and from then on, never looked back and just struck a partnership with Craig that quite possibly was probably the best that I, I'd ever had, really. I read somewhere that, you, that between the two of you scored something like, like over 40 goals, I think it was, in one season between we, the two of you. Craig got a bad injury at Molyneux, which kept him out for the rest of the season. And at that time, me and him had scored more goals than any other pairing in the Championship. Yeah. And I think the the two that won it that year was Kevin Phillips and Noel Quinn at Sunderland. Oh, yeah. But I, I've no doubt, had Craig stayed fit, we'd have, we'd have had every chance of winning promotion. I would have had every chance of finishing as a joint top scorer. It's, it's a weird one because... He's more my son's age than he is mine. Like he'd come and have because he didn't live too far away. I knew he was a young Welsh boy. There's not many of us, so whenever you got a Welsh Welshman or Welsh lad in a dressing room, you always sort of bond with him. Um, always got on got on well with him. He used to come round for his tea, but he'd spend all night playing on the PlayStation with Ben <laughs> instead of talking with him. You know, hit it off with him, argued with him, but. And I don't know what it was. It's as if we didn't really have to work at it. It just happened naturally. Yeah. I knew what he wanted. I knew what he was looking for, and vice versa. The same with uh, with him and him. He knew where I wanted the ball. He knew what I was looking for. Just hits it off from from day one. We hit it off. But he was a proper pain in the ass sometimes. <laughs> I was. I was. We were going to ask about prima donnas. Actually, was one of our other questions. You strike as the kind of bloke who doesn't really take much messing about from people. Um, what was 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 you know what was Craig like when he was at his worst sort of thing? He knew from sixteen seventeen that he was going to be a, a very very good player, a top top player. And um, I've worked with two lads uh, in my twenty years of playing. I've never seen work as hard and that's one's Bellas and one's Darren Huckabee and to be fair they're two peas in the pod focused determined um, driven and if, if they don't see people putting the same effort whether it be in training or in the game as what they do it pisses them off 
and they have to tell people whether whether Craig was 16 or 36. He would still dig people out, and I don't mind that. I don't. He he was he was confident. People thought he was a bit arrogant, but I think all the all the best players need that little bit of arrogance. Yeah. And it's... Craig wasn't afraid to tell a senior pro that he thought he was he wasn't working as hard as what he should be. And I remember one trip, I don't know if you might have heard the story, I don't know, we were travelling away to, I think it was Bradford, um, on a Friday afternoon, because you have to go on a Friday from Norwich, because everywhere's in the way, <laughs> every, every away game's an overnight. Anyway, uh, so we're about three hours into the journey, and it's Craig's first away trip, and he wants to go to the toilet, and uh, there was a, obviously a toilet in the middle of the coach, so Craig's gone in, and Neil Adams, who played and managed Norwich, he had this thing that if he took the three bins from the front, the middle, and the back of the bus, and if if you he put them in a certain position on the bottom step of the stairs to get out of the coat, then there's no no way you're getting out of that toilet. <laughs> I mean, you can sort of get your head slightly through it, but you could be the incredible host if you're not moving that bin. <laughs> Anyway, honestly, for the first 10, 15 minutes, he's effing and blinding his colours, all sorts, let me out, let me out. But I said, no, no, I sort of ignored him. And he, he was in there for about an hour. <laughs> and in the end, we, we got him to sign this bit of paper, who I think it was Mike Milligan had, had uh, written on it, I must not be cheeky ever again to the senior pros. <laughs> so we got him to sign it. As soon as he signed it, we let him out. As soon as he came out, he was all chopsy again. <laughs> he? He's actually denied that, but that definitely he did get lost in the, in the on the coach in the coach toilet. We actually, um, interestingly, in our discussion with Owen Tidder Jones, Bellamy came up because they'd obviously played together yeah. with Wales, and he said something very similar, which was that he it's not that he was arrogant in the sense that he expected the players around him to be able to produce what he could produce, yeah. but yeah. he definitely expected you to be working at it and he definitely yeah. expected you to be trying. I think that's the only thing that Craig would ask for, yeah. that if you put the same effort that, that he does. If you don't, you're letting him down and you're letting yourself down. Do you, you think he'll go on to be a good manager? I think he will. I think he will. My, my only concern about, about that is, and it's a little bit like... Um, when all the you know you get some absolute top players who become managers, especially at lower league level, and they get frustrated because the players that they're working with can't do what they used to be able to do. Yeah, and that's my one concern with with Bella is that I think he's mellowed in in his old days. I think he's he's not as fiery or as temperamental as as what he used to be when he played. And I think he has got a lot more patience. I mean, he has to to, to do the job mm. that he is doing. Oh I've never known a young lad with so much knowledge of the game yeah. as Craig. I mean, when he was 17, 18, were living in Norwich, he would jump on a, a plane at Norwich Airport, half hour, you're in Amsterdam. He'd do that on a regular basis just to go watch, go watch some games in the uh, Eredivisie. You know, it's not many 17, 18-year-old mm. boys who, you know, he's a, he, he is a student of the game and it would be a crying shame if he doesn't get an opportunity to, to manage a, a, a top level. And I think there will come a day, and I, I hope he is, he is given the opportunity, because I think he, he would one day make a great Welsh manager. 
talked a bit about the impact of players on the field, um, Yuan. I was wondering who perhaps had the biggest impact as a player off the field or in the dressing room that you came across? Oh, that's a good question. God, that is a good question. <laughs> uh, off the top of In what way? Well, perhaps just either whether it was gelling as the group or perhaps was a senior pro that was the most supportive of the youngsters or the senior pro that would call out the crap from the youngsters. Just some sort of impact off the field that people might not be aware of. I think one man that I've got a lot of admiration for is Brian Gunn. And Gunny's a lovely, lovely man. And he lost a daughter um, when he was at Norwich. I think she was four or five. I think she died of leukaemia. Um, and Gunny is an absolute gentleman, treats everybody the same, speaks in a soft voice, but he's a big character as well mm-hmm. in the dressing room. And when I first got to Norwich, um, it was a little bit clicky. You know, there, there would be a group of three or four in one corner, a group of three or four in in the other corner. But then I think it was a combination of Brian Gunn, uh, Peter uh, Peter Grant, who played for Celtic, played for Norwich, and played for a managed Norwich, and Robert Fleck, who was another great lad. Fleck, he was a great lad. And he wasn't one of these that would be in a clique and be that, that group there. They wanted to dress. And you've got to have a dressing room that's all together. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you've got no chance. But yeah, going back to, to, to the question, I think Gunny, because of what he went through, with losing his daughter, um, such a nice fella on and off the pitch. I think I think everybody in that dressing room up at Coley would have definitely learned a lot from 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 Brian. Stick, sticking sticking with Norwich just for, just for one more moment. We obviously uh, have heard about what happened with your book uh, and everything that happened with Kevin Muscat. Yeah. Um, the most interesting thing for me about about it all was your kind of retrospective ban. Well, obviously, but the one the one comment I saw was you linked it to David Beckham not getting yeah. punished for something. What what was that that Beckham had done? He he uh, he was playing for England, and he, he admitted deliberately getting a yellow card. So right. I think they had they had England had three games left. I think one was against a smaller nation, which they would have beaten comfortably. Mm-hmm. But their last game was going to be probably the toughest test that they'd faced in this qualifying campaign. So he made sure, he was on a yellow card, so he made sure that he picked up a yellow card, mm. which meant he was suspended for the for the game against, it might have been a San Marino or yeah. a Faroe Islands or someone like that. So, and I just, you know, obviously on purpose gone out mm. and picked up his booking. And to a degree, I thought it, it wasn't, too dissimilar to what I done. Although, okay, yeah, I did stamp on someone's neck. I know that. <laughs> I didn't get a yellow card for it, but obviously, a, a few years down the line, I admitted it in the book. But I just thought because it was David Beckham, it was a little bit double standards from the from the FA. Mm-hmm. And I fine punished me, but when they punished me, I moved on to Gillingham. You know, they they were punishing them, and, and I started really well at Gillingham. I, mm-hmm. I scored two goals in my first three games, and then obviously I got this three-game ban, which was a hard one to take because 
of, of the thing with Beckham. And I was told by I was told by the lawyers who sort of read through the book before it went to print. They said, "Listen, the FA could pick up on this. You know, do you want to take it out?" And I'm like, "Well, if you're going to take every juicy little," and I knew that Norwich fans would love me admitting that about Kevin Muscat because they hate Kevin Muscat because <laughs> of what he did to, to Craig. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, no, I don't want you to take it out. You've got to keep it in. You know, I'll face the consequences if and when I have to. And of course, I think it was about 18 months to two years, a little bit further down the line, the FA got in contact with me, banned me for three games and fined me, I think it was about four or £5,000. Yeah. Bastards! <laughs> <laughs> And what actually, kind of what goes through your head, like, I play very, very low-level football here, but there are times when it, it just doesn't matter what happens around you or your surroundings or whatever, you just you just kind of see red. And like, what kind of happened to you, if you like, in that moment? With, with Muscat? Yeah. I just remember that it was a shocking tackle. Uh, and he was sneaky, he was clever, um, and he, Craig's had so many problems with his knee, yeah. and it all started from that tackle. And I knew that there would come a time where I might be able to get a little bit of redemption. And I, I wouldn't say I sort of looked after Craig, but I always had his back, if you know what I mean. And, and I think in Craig's autobiography, he mentions that, that I sort of not took him under my wing, that's the wrong thing today. But he knew that if he was getting a bit of grief off the centre half, I would try and look after him. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a couple of years down the line, we play Wolves at home. Muscat's playing, and to be fair to Muscat, off the pitch, he was a great lad. I met him in Australia uh, in '96, uh, and he was a, he was an absolute gem. But on the pitch, he was just that dirty so and so, an animal. And he's you know Craig isn't the first career that he's nearly nearly finished. Yeah. Anyway, there's ball over the top. Me and him in the rage. Well, he's just in front of me, and he's he's, he's sort of his heel has caught my knee. He's tripped down. And as soon as I'm seeing him falling, I'm thinking that tackle has come straight back into my head. Yeah. And I've jumped over him. And I could have, I could have cleared him. I could have gone either side with my right right shoe. But I thought, no, you're having it. And I sort <laughs> of caught, caught him at the top of his back to his neck. It looked a complete accident. And you know, I've, I've gone up to him straight away and, and apologised. The refs come over. Nothing, no yellow card, no telling off, no free kick. But I knew that I'd done it on purpose. Yeah. And it wasn't until I obviously admitted it in my book that everybody else then knew <laughs> I'd done it on purpose. Just just to move on from, from club football uh, and talk about playing for Wales, um, obviously you've got your first call-up. I read, was it, was it in a Holland squad to play Holland? Yeah, yeah. Um, what was it? No, that, that was my first cap. Oh, that was my your first, first cap, sorry. My first call-up, uh, we played Israel away. What, uh, what's it like getting that first call up and, and, oh, and how, how did it happen? You want to play for your country. You know, I'm a passionate Welshman. Uh, I'm Welsh through and through. Uh, I, I wanted to get... I just wanted to wear the red shirt, do you know what I mean? Because I'd seen many games. I, I was at the game where Sparky scored that overhead kick in the race course yeah. against Spain. Uh, I'd seen us lose to Scotland at Anfield mm-hmm. you know, the disappointment against Scotland again in Cardiff and back then it was the highlight of your career it was the pinnacle play for your country I can't remember what happened anyway, and I can't remember what day it was 
But I knew we'd had, we, we had injury problems. I think Mark Hughes was struggling. I think Ian Rush was struggling. And we had a game in Tel Aviv against, against Israel. Um, anyway, Graham Taylor's called me into his office and uh, sort of basically broke the news. Listen, uh, just come off the phone with Terry Orrith. Uh, he'd been calling to the Welsh squad. Congratulations. I think I was 18 or something like that. Um, of course, I had to leave. Well, I had to go home, pack a few bits and pieces, get my boots, and go straight to Heathrow, which isn't far from Watford anyway. But I was shit scared. <laughs> I was nervous. Butterflies in in my tummy because I, I'm. I think I think Rushy was fit, but they they did have a few injuries. Um, and just meeting these players for the first time, players that I'd watched on on telly. You know, Ian Rush was a he was my hero, him and Kenny Dalgleish. Um, got the plane, sort of, quite as a mouse, didn't say boo to a goose. I sat in my seat and I've got a seat to my left, no one's sitting in there. And I'm thinking, oh, who am I going to be sat next to? Anyway, yeah, up the stairs, Mark Hughes turns right and I'm like, he's heading for me. <laughs> so uh, he's gone, oh, I'm sitting there. Got all right, yes. Yeah. So I got up. He's got in. Um, didn't say too much. Anyway, we're taken off. I think this is at the time where he just gone from Barcelona to Bayern Munich. Right. And Spark is quite quiet anyway. Mm. Yeah. He, um, he was good friends with Mark Bowen, Clayton Blackmore, uh, Clint Hodges, and they were all his sort of the people that he mixed with. Really, in them he was fine, but anyone he didn't really know or wasn't too sure of. He didn't really say too much. Anyway, I've said, oh, I've sat next to him. It's deathly silent. I said, I've got to say something. So I've just started asking questions about, oh, um, how was Barcelona? Are you enjoying me? And I was getting one-word answers. And I was thinking, I don't think he wants to talk. <laughs> that was the longest five-hour flight I've ever been on. I swear to God. But And, and in all fairness, uh, Mark gave me more caps than any other manager. Yeah. So I've got a lot to thank thank you. And the more he got to know you, the better he was, yeah. But that, that first first what time I met him on that flight, he wasn't he wasn't giving me much. Yeah. Yeah, I was at that same Spain game you and and I, th- I think yeah. if I'd have ended up sitting next to Mark Hughes on an aeroplane, I'd have been completely <laughs> dumbstruck. Well, well, you're in all of them. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing, you're in all of people. Big Nev Big Nev was brilliant. Big Nev was, he made all the young lads that sort of broke into the squad uh, for the first time. He was absolutely, he was a gem, honestly. Just made, made you feel welcome, sat you down, had a chat with you. Uh, he, Nev was brilliant, Nev was brilliant. Got a lot of time for Big Nev. And then your first cap against the Dutch? Sparky and Russian, they were both out. Uh, so me, me and Malcolm Allen started up front. It's the game just passed me by. Um, I don't know at the race course it was full against that really good Dutch side of the late eighties, um, and they they were a, they were a very very good side. And I was up against Ron Koeman. Never had a kick. <laughs> um, I did, and, and looking back, it did pass me by. Yeah. I was taken off after about 60, 65 minutes, I think. Um, and if I'm honest, I hadn't really had a kick. Uh, won a few things in the air, but you don't realise that until you're up against Kuruman, who wasn't the biggest, but he was strong, 
he was quick, you know, he could pass. When people say now, well, who, uh, who's the best player you've ever played against? You know, it has to be him. Yeah. I mean, we lost the game 2-1, and there was no disgrace, really, in losing to that side. I think they go on to win the European Championships in... I think they won the... It was in 88 they won the Euro? They've won it, they've won it, haven't they? they just won it, yeah. Yeah, yeah they've beaten Russia in the final, that's right. So they, they were a top, top side. They were a top side. But it's... You know, to, what, to wear that shirt for the first time, to represent your country for the first time, and me and my mum and dad were going to be there. Um, the, the proudest moment of my career, you know, you look at your, the playoff finals, um, the year we won the championship with with Norwich, but for me as a Welshman, nothing compared to playing, playing that first game and representing Wales for, for the very first time. Have you, have you still got your shirt, or did you do a shirt swap after the match? Um, well, you get two. You, you get two for. Well, I think we got two, so I definitely swapped it. I didn't get Ronald Koeman's. I got Erwin Koeman, his brother. Oh, really? It's not as good, but it's still a Koeman. <laughs> um, but I've, I've definitely I've I've given a few shirts away to charity, but I've I've gotten them somewhere. And I, I think I don't have any stuff on the wall really, um, but they're in they're in a container um, and. My mate's looking after them because I said we've only just moved house, so we're here, there, and everywhere. So as, as soon as as we're all settled in, I might get a because my mum's got my mum's got one on her wall in in Dufferin, and that's one of my first ones, and that's all signed by by the squad. So that's <coughs> that's got pride of place in in the front room. Uh, so yeah, I've I've got I've got some really good shirts. I've got I've got a few German shirts. Uh, I've got a really nice Belgium shirt. I've got an Argentinian shirt from okay. when we played them in the Kirin Cup. Oh yeah. I've got a Japanese shirt from the game I got sent off for <laughs> Wales in the in the same tournament. Um, and they are lovely. They're lovely to have. They are lovely to have. And really, they should be in a nice frame like your Alan Shearer one on a wall <laughs> somewhere. And, and probably in the near future, I'll uh, I'll do that. Yeah. We we talked before we probably started recording about some of the other games you've played in. Um, and one of the big turning points, I thought, in, in, in Welsh football, in the modern history sort of thing, was when we played Brazil and, and Finland before that. Um, obviously, you played in that game. What was it like playing against that Brazil team? In the millennium? Yeah. Oh, I was... You want to play against the, that kick? Because everybody, the Yoshua, blue shorts and the, and the white socks. And it was, it was, it's a dream come true, really. And it was the first time... The roof had been closed for a football game, I think. The place was full. They were a great side. And they were they, they had some top, top players. Uh, it's a funny thing. I mean, because the roof is closed, we've gone out to warm up. They've not even come out to warm up. Didn't even warm up before. Because the, they've got a little... Because in the Millennium Stadium, in the dressing room, you've got like a warm-up area. Right. So I think they warmed up in... Uh, in, in, in there, uh, but we were well and truly beaten. But they were they were a class side. They were a class class side. Uh, I think uh, Rival- Rivaldo played. Yeah. But they uh, Cafu played. Cafu played. Yeah. Um, Lad who played for Arsenal in midfield played. I'm crap with names. That's what <laughs> I am. Not very good with names. But they had they had a very very good side. They had a very good side. And uh, but no no Brazil shirt afterwards. <laughs> No Brazil shirt, sadly. I went to uh, because 
and I was desperate to get get a shirt. I really was. And uh, Silvino, who played for Arsenal, yeah, he played he he played left back for them that night, and it was his first game for for Brazil. It was his first cap, and I played against him oh, maybe three or four weeks before that because uh, we played Arsenal at London Coley in a in a friendly. And he sort of recognised me from with, with that lack of teeth, ginger hair. There's not too many players that look like me, so he sort of recognised me and sort of we shook hands before the game and, and one thing or another. And I'm thinking, right, that's my that's my way to a shirt after the game. So after the final whistle, so I'm headed straight for Silvino, and I've gone, oh, can, can we swap shirts? And he's gone, oh, it's my first cap. I don't want to keep it. I don't want to swap. And by the time I've gone, oh yeah, I can, and I could understand. By the time I've obviously I've shook his hand, I've turned round. All the others are halfway up the tunnel, aren't they? So I didn't get a shirt. But what I did get, which I've still got, um, I've got a Nike Brazil signed football by all the players. That's brilliant. So I should get that in a nice little glass cabinet thing, really, because that should be on show. Yeah. That really yeah. should be on show, but it's in some dark cupboard in the stairs. <laughs> There you go, that is the first half of our Ewan Roberts interview. The second half, as I say, will be released on Monday, the 6th of August. So keep an eye out for that. We have a great interview coming the Monday after that as well, where we'll be giving out our interview with the brilliant Jess Fishlock. I hope you enjoyed this. Hopefully, you'll be able to listen to the second half of this on the 6th of August. Thanks for listening. <laughs>